the more that you read, the more things you'll know. The more that you learn, the more places you'll go. There are thousands upon thousands of books out there, and my goal is to read them all. Welcome to Zoo Notable, taking wisdom from from self improvement, conservation, and animal related books, distilling them down, and sharing what we can learn with you. And whether you are an animal care professional or just a lover of nature and life, Zoo Notables helps you grow and level up your life. Following the rules of shaping, you can get virtually any animal to do anything it is physically and mentally capable of doing. Turtles, lobsters, minnows, anything can be trained. All you need to do is figure out how to break down the behavior you have in mind into small enough steps so you can train one step at a time. Welcome back to Zoo Notables. That quote comes from today's book, Lads Before the Wind by Karen Pryor. Lads Before the Wind chronicles Karen's eight years from 1963 to 1971, working with dolphins at Hawaii's Sea Life Park and establishing some of the most innovative techniques, which are standard practices in today's training world. Now, why would I want to delve into the wisdom of a book written more than five decades ago about training techniques that most animal behaviorists consider basic practices today? Well, as you'll see, these ideas are not just for animal training. What my program ZooFit is all about is using these basic principles for our daily lives, particularly fitness, to make healthy habits empowering, engaging, and impactful. And to many people outside the zoo field, these ideas that we're going to explain and discuss today are, well, they're revolutionarily. So let's get started with Karen Pryor's Lads Before the Wind. And big idea number one is the excitement of learning and figuring things out. Quote, here were the rules, the scientific laws underlying training. It was written in thick prose and stiff scientific jargon. I could see why other trainers had been unwilling to digest it. For me, it was exciting though. So Karen's whole book is about how she developed different training techniques, apart from a manual written by Ron Turner, a psychologist who worked on establishing training criteria, and part from trial and error. But the one thing she keeps saying throughout each new challenge and learning situation is that learning is fun. And when Karen was working on training sea life parks animals, many of the principles we animal professionals use every day hadn't been developed yet. In fact, it was actually Karen who developed most of these innovative practices. But this process didn't overwhelm her. This whole new world was exciting to her. Now, honestly, I feel animal trainers today are just a little bit spoiled because we have all of this knowledge from pioneers at our fingertips. Sometimes we're even fortunate enough to receive personal guidance from modern experts like Steve Martin, Susan Friedman, or Ken Ramirez. But imagine having to figure out these principles for yourself. Imagine what it would be like to have this dolphin in front of you and not knowing how to overcome a particular challenge or obstacle. You couldn't call in an expert to show you how to handle this because there weren't any at this point. 
You just had to figure it out yourself. But it's more than that. Imagine instead of seeing this process as extraneously difficult and exhausting, imagine loving and cherishing every moment of it. Imagine that you found it exhilarating and exciting. Now, as Karen also writes, she wasn't the only one excited from learning. The dolphins seemed to respond to the learning process as well with excitement and eagerness. Karen recounts how she was training her animals to create novel behaviors, actions that they had not been trained before. Now, after only a few moments of frustration at not receiving reinforcement for doing spectacular behaviors, the dolphins became quite inventive and caught onto Karen's agenda pretty quickly. A quote, Malia seemed to have learned the, the criteria. She was deliberately coming up with something new. Sometimes she was very excited when she saw us in the mornings. Ingrid and I had the unscientific feeling that she sat all night thinking up stuff and rushed into the first show with an air of, wait until you see this one. So not only do the trainers look at these learning opportunities as exciting, but the animals find challenges exciting too. To me, that's just, again, a fantastic approach to learning. It is exciting and it's all part of this adventure called life. Now, many times while reading this book, I would boldly interrupt my husband and say, hey, you have to listen to this. This is absolutely amazing. And Karen didn't just teach her trainers and dolphins sciencey stuff and get them excited about it. She helped me change my attitude about learning and figuring things out with a positive attitude as well. So my question for you is, how do you view learning and challenges? Do you find it excruciating, wishing someone would just wave their magic wand and help you out? Or do you thrive on that challenge as well? Big idea number two is go back to kindergarten. Quote, the two whales plunged away in opposite directions, turned, leaped, one from the left, the other from the right, over the rope, and had a 3,000-pound, 20-mile-an-hour head-on collision in mid-air. Of course, they refused to jump again. No, ma'am, not me. We had to revamp the shaping plan completely. A Karen describes the training process for two Sidorka Crassidin, or false killer whales, learning to do a double jump. Now, rather than the normal side-by-side -side leap out of the water, Karen wanted the two to cross going in opposite directions. The training was going great, with each whale jumping the correct direction over the rope, and the trainers felt that the whales were ready to try the jump together. Except, crash, uh-oh. But rather than start all over again, Karen and her colleague Jenny reworked this behavior in an innovative way. It has since become a standard practice for when animals regress or dealing with an entirely new situation. The trainers incorporate what Karen called going back to kindergarten. The criteria of quote unquote perfection would lax considerably and the trainers would go back to the steps where they were seeing success to rework the behavior. So instead of training the whales to jump in the center of the pool, like they ideally wanted for the behavior, Karen and Jenny took a different approach. They trained the whales to jump on far opposite sides, ends of the rope, and then let the rope sag in the center. 
They relied on this natural tendency for an animal to do the least amount of work to get the highest amount of reward that to lead the whales to gradually gravitate towards the middle of the rope. And as the whales came closer and closer to each other, they themselves learned to gauge the other's approach and keep to their own side as they jumped. The trainers then had what they were aiming for, a beautiful double bow from two beautiful and exotic whales. As Karen reminisced, it remains, I think, one of the most stunning behaviors we ever developed. Now, keep in mind that the trainers didn't go all the way back to the beginning stages of training the jump. That would be rebirth and not kindergarten. The whales were successfully jumping over the rope. It was jumping together that they were now unsure of. So Jenny and Karen went back to a baseline where the whales were successful and then moved them forward in a different path. And this concept reminds me of Brian Johnson of the Optimize program and his stance on making your prior best your new baseline. As we incrementally get better and better, we're going to falter a little along the way. It's gonna happen. But as we continue on our trajectory, we don't have to start all over again from scratch when we falter. We just have to go to the last level where you were achieving success. That's your new baseline. So my question, are there any habits or goals that you are working on that have you stuck? Are you feeling that you're heading for a 3,000 pound, 20 mile per hour collision in midair? Try going back to kindergarten and continue on your trajectory, spiraling up towards achieving our dreams. Big idea number three is putting undesired behaviors on cue. Quote, once Makua was down there, there was not much I could do. Timeouts had no effect. Indeed, by sinking, he was giving me a timeout. How do you get rid of behavior you don't want? Oh, my friends, how I relate to Makua. Makua is a bottlenosed dolphin who is doing everything in his power to avoid his training session, much to the increasing frustration of his trainer. Whenever he was quote unquote done with the training session, Makua would just drop down to the bottom of the pool and hang out. I mean, I gotta say, this guy is the king of procrastination. And on that note, if he's the king, then my friends, I am the queen. Lately, I've developed this annoying habit of scrolling around social media, YouTube, and doing anything except my creative work I ultimately want to get done. But social media is so reinforcing, and sometimes my creative work is so not immediately reinforcing. So how do you get rid of procrastination? Well, as Karen discovered, you can put it on cue. And quote, the word extinction cropped up a lot in the business of, of bringing a behavior under stimulus control. When the behavior is occurring on cue, is extinguishing off cue. There was the answer. I would train Makua to lie on the bomb on purpose with a particular signal. Then I would extinguish the behavior off cue. Then when I didn't want him to play possum, I just wouldn't give him the cue. The next time Makua sank, I blew the whistle and threw him a handful of fish. He admitted his large, astonished bubble and surfaced and ate the fish. We went back to, the, to work. 
By and by, he sank himself again, and I reinforced it again. By the next day, he was sinking over and over, and I began requiring a certain length of sinking time and even going as far as giving him a timeout if he came up too soon. Soon, I had the sinking behavior stretched to a reliable 30 seconds, and I introduced a sound cue, which Makua learned very rapidly. Now, Karen even incorporated this whole behavior into the program that they presented at Sea Life Park. And the key to making this work isn't to never ask for the behavior again, but to ask for it when it's appropriate. So basically, to go back to my issue, I started scheduling my unproductive procrastination time. I put the behavior on cue. Now I reward my productive efforts of writing, creating videos, or completing modules in my coach class with 10 or 15 minutes watching YouTube videos or going down rabbit holes on the interwebs, or even watching zoo posts on Facebook. And if I'm feeling antsy about a bunch of projects, instead of getting overwhelmed, I actually program five to 10 minutes of unpro unproductive procrastination. And when that time is up, my brain knows it's time to get to work. This the idea is like, get it out of my system, detach from stretch, and then figure out what's important now, focus on that. And folks, I gotta say, this works. Ever since I put procrastination on cue, I've been more productive and more focused than ever before. I also don't feel bad about procrastination. I just schedule it. So can scheduling your undesired behaviors work for you? Put it on cue, and when you don't want your bad behavior to rear its ugly head, simply don't ask for it until you're ready. Now, P.S., this also works for other unwanted behaviors, say with your kids. A friend of mine started using the technique with her three children to extinguish them having temper tantrums when they take long car rides together. Before they left for some place, my friend told them that they had 10 minutes to throw their tantrums. She even went as far as telling them they had three more minutes when her middle child said he was good to go after seven. Now, after a few of these trials, she started shortening the allotted tantrum time and now claims that she and her family enjoy car rides in happy harmony as their tempers have all tantrumed out before they even leave. And before we continue on, a quick word from our sponsors. We have Anchor, again, the, the website that we are using to, uh, to show, give you this wonderful podcast and ZooFit, my program to help you eat clean, live green, and train positive. And before we continue on, a quick word from our sponsors. We have Anchor, again, the, the website that we are using to, uh, to show, give you this wonderful podcast and ZooFit, my program to help you eat clean, live green, and train positive. Big idea number four, when the show is too good, it's time to change things up. Quote, we decided the show at the Ocean Science Theater was getting a little too good, a little too polished. 
The animals knew the routine perfectly. The narrators, myself included, were slipping into rote narration. There were no mistakes. Consequently, there were none of those interesting moments when no one, including the trainer, knew what would happen next. Now, Karen talks about this aspect of her work in her chapter called The Creative Porpoise. And this decision that the show was too good led to groundbreaking research into dolphin cognitive studies. Karen and her colleagues started training a novel behavior to the dolphin so the audience could see the training process. But in order to do that accurately, they couldn't use previously trained behaviors. The dolphin had to come up with something on their own. So one thing led to another, and soon Karen and her team were studying originality and innovation with dolphins. Now this was unheard of concepts for areas of research in those days. Remember, this was in the 60s. But it all started because their show was, quote, getting a little too good. Now this is important to remember because when things in our own show, or AKA life, are getting a little too good, AKA easy, that's a huge indicator that we need to change things up as well. Now, Brian Johnson also, again, from the Optimized Program says, we will never be exonerated from doing the work. We are always going to be working towards perfection, but we will never actually get there. Now, Karen is basically saying the same thing here, but she's only, she's adding, why would you want to be exonerated? Exoneration and perfection, that's boring. Nobody wants to see that. So we are always going to keep upping our game, learning new behaviors, experimenting with what works and what doesn't work. And this is good. This is progress. We have to keep going, keep getting better. Because when it's too good, we aren't challenging ourselves. But when we shake things up, we make amazing discoveries that make our lives and the world just a little better. And finally, big idea number five, how smart are dolphins? Somehow that's the wrong question. Quote, it began to seem to me that intelligence is made up of a lot of different things. The ability to solve problems, the ability to learn and retain, the ability to observe. There are individuals and species that star in one or another aspect of intelligence. How smart is a porpoise? I think somehow it's the wrong question. Now, Karen calls this kind of questioning of animals' intelligence linear thinking, and I completely agree. There is no line that maps dumb animals at the bottom and smart animals at the top. It's all multidimensional. As Albert Einstein once said, everybody is a genius, but if you judge a fish by its ability to climb a tree, it will live its whole life believing it is stupid. Now, again, Karen's talking about this on that literal aspect, but Carol Dweck, a, a, a motivation researcher, calls this a fixed mindset versus a growth mindset. How smart is this animal compared to that animal and situates them in a linear fashion? And we do this to ourselves frequently too. As Carol Dweck states in her book, Mindset, Believing your qualities are carved into stone, the fixed mindset creates an urgency to prove yourself over and over. 
If you have only a certain amount of intelligence, a certain personality, and a certain moral character, well, then you better prove that you have a healthy dose of them. In a growth mindset, the hand that you're dealt is just a starting point for development. It's based on the belief that your basic qualities are things that you can cultivate through your efforts. Although people may differ in every which way, everyone can change and grow through application and experience. So when, so I feel when we place this question of proof how smart an animal is, we are projecting a fixed mindset upon that whole species. And it's not a question that can be easily answered. Dolphins can use tools, they think ahead, they problem solve. But so do crows, sea otters, and even squirrels. And it's also just as easy to think linearly about ourselves. Animal intelligence is similar to human abilities. It's not what we're born with, it's our mindset. As Carol Dweck writes, is it ability or mindset? Was it Mozart's musical ability or the fact that he worked till his hands were deformed? Was it Darwin's scientific ability or the fact that he collected specimens nonstop from early childhood? So back to Karen Pryor, how smart are dolphins? Yes, guys, I think that's the wrong question. How do dolphins think and grow in their ability to adapt to new challenges? There you go. That's moving from fixed to a growth mindset. Well, that's what I've got for this fascinating memoir from Karen Pryor. If you are interested in more great insights from one of the pioneers in positive reinforcement animal training, I highly, highly recommend it. There is a link to buy it in the description down below. Let's close up with a few quotes from the book. These are all from Karen Pryor in Lads Before the Wind. She says, designing a porpoise show is one of those tasks in which naivety is probably an advantage. If you don't really know what has been done before, you're not tempted to copy. If you don't know what can be done, you're not limited by the ideas of what can't be done. Karen also says, that simple rule when things go, went wrong, to look at what you were actually reinforcing bailed me out of a lot of problems. Again, this is an idea. If you are struggling with a behavior of yours or a behavior of someone else, look at are you inadvertently reinforcing it? Change the game and change your life. And finally, we have the path to a desired endpoint can take any direction. There are probably as many ways to shape a given behavior as there are trainers to train it. We've heard this before in the animal training field. This is something quick, really important to remember though. There is no the way. There's my way. What's yours? That's all I've got for this great book. Let me know your thoughts. What big idea resonated the most with you? And how can you incorporate that into your life starting today? And please feel free to share some of your favorite books that you'd love to see as you notable on. Keep working on becoming the best version of yourself today, tomorrow, and forever. For you, your community, the animals, and the planet. 
take care and I'll see you all next time.